I'm going to read from uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It'll show up here if you don't have one. Um, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. So this scripture, the, the first thing that I always love about it is how it says that uh, the Lord was in the midst of a burning bush, but the bush was not consumed. We always talk about how as Christians that that should be the, the goal, that we would be on fire but not consumed, that we wouldn't get burned out, that we wouldn't get tired of coming to church, that we wouldn't get tired of Christmas services, that we wouldn't get tired of giving, that we should be on fire still but not consumed and burned out, right? In our series that we're doing here uh, in the month of December in this church, this is the third week. The series is called I Am, and we've committed to preparing a place for Jesus this year. I didn't know what the kids were going to do, and uh, I'm grateful and thankful for Mary and Joseph from uh, a couple of our, our youth and young adults. They came in, and there was no place prepared for them, right? They come saying, my wife is about to give birth. Do you have room for us? Do you have a place? And what we've talked about this series and this month is still, as believers, we have to prepare a place for him. We're busy with shopping. We're busy with family. We're busy with kids. We're shipping our kids around because they're about to be off for vacation from school. We're so busy that we can forget as believers to prepare a place for the Lord. We can go right through the holiday season and have not made room for God to actually come in and do anything. So as we've been preparing this place over the last few weeks, we've been asking the question of the Lord, who are you? Who are you, Lord? Last week in the beginning of our series, we saw uh, I am aware. I am aware, right? So we have this picture, and many of us feel this way, whether it's we're overwhelmed, we're drowning, we feel like God doesn't know, our friends and our family don't know, but what we, what we talked about last week is that he's the aware one. He knows right where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows how difficult it is, how frustrating it can be at times, but he's aware. He's not uh, ignorant, and it's not that he doesn't care. He's aware, right? In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 that I just read to you, listen to what he said when he came and he talked to Moses in that burning bush experience. He said, I have surely seen, say seen, the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard, say heard, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know, say no, for I know their sorrows. He says, I've seen, I've heard, and I know what my people are going through. I am aware. That's what he's saying. I'm aware. This Christmas, you're preparing a place for the one who is aware, and he's aware of all things. 
but specifically, he's aware of all things that pertain to you. Everything that's going on in your life, he's aware of it, past, present, and future. So that was last week. In the first week of our series, we saw, I am coming. I am coming. So we saw that when somebody's pregnant, they know that something's coming. Say amen. All right. We have one of our our leaders and families in the church right now being induced at 10 o'clock. So there might be a baby that actually comes before we get out of service today. Amen. Which is a good thing. We're added to the numbers. I told you, we've been counting that baby as the number since the inception. But we saw that I'm coming in Exodus 3, 7 and 8, what I just read to you again. He goes on to say, I know their sorrows, so I have come down to deliver them. Right? So not only do we serve the God that is aware of what we're going through and what our situation is, but we also serve the God who is coming. He's coming into our situation. He's coming into our drama, and he's also coming in to bless us, right? He doesn't stand on the side. He doesn't just witness from afar. Are you preparing a place for the coming one? If you have friends or family coming in, I guarantee you've been preparing a place. You've been cleaning the house. You've been throwing stuff in the closet that nobody goes into. (laughs) Right? See, if you believe that he's coming and that he's coming again and that he has something for you this Christmas, more than just gifts, more than just whatever uh, friends and family send your way, more than just cards and things like that, if you believe he's coming, you'll prepare a place for him. Right? You won't leave them out in the cold. You won't leave that gift out. Right? I'm expecting gifts. The, the company, not from you guys, don't trip. <laughs> the company that I work for, uh, the last few years I've, I've been a, a leader in the company, so they've, they've sent me gifts in the mail. And uh, I wasn't thinking about it, but Mary called me yesterday. We were on the phone, and she was still at home. She's like, hey, some box showed up on the, uh, on the porch. I was like, it might be from my company. I guarantee it's a gift. Go get it. Open it. I'm ready. Prepare a place. Move stuff around. It was freaking the cable company sending boxes to return back their cable boxes. It's like, dang. But I was ready for a gift. I was ready and preparing room for it. Whatever it was, we were going to make room for it, right? How much more the Lord should we be preparing a place, making ready, expecting something to be coming, something to be birthed into our lives, right? So he's aware of what you're going through and what you're restricted by, and he's coming to deliver you. That's what it said in Exodus, the scriptures that we read right now. He told Moses, I see him, I know it, I hear it. The cries have come out to me. I am coming to deliver them. And he says the same thing to you and I this morning, right? Those who seek him or prepare a place for him, they'll find him. And he's not standing still. He's not hiding from us. You know how some people feel like with God, I'm going to find him and he's going to be there. And, and we think that he's like hiding somewhere. I hope she doesn't see me. I don't, want to touch, I don't want to touch them. I don't want to bless them. I don't want to see them. Or we feel like he's running from us. Like he wakes up every morning, puts on his running shoes, and he's like taking off. You better run fast if you want to catch me. That's not the God that we serve, right? He's actually pursuing you. The way that the Bible reads is that he's pursuing us, but we are not turning to him, right? We have to actually make time for him and make room for him. I had this vision two days ago, and believe me, if you've been in this church for a while, I don't talk like that a lot, right? I don't have all these dreams and visions, but I did. I think I was on the way to work. And uh, this scripture comes to mind for, for the vision. It's, it's out of James chapter 4, verse 8. The scripture reads, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. These guys don't know it, but I'm going to use them for, for example. So Isaiah and RJ, stand up for me real quick. Ad-libbing, this is real. All right, so we'll make Jesus bigger, so you get on this side. So this, this vision that I had, this dream that I have, is for somebody who's just unaware that God is near them and unaware that God is pursuing them, unaware that God wants to, uh, to impact their life, right? So they're walking through their life, and Jesus 
is trying to get their attention, all right? But you can't look back, okay? You're going to walk slowly around, all the way around to back here. So Jesus, you, can't, you can talk, but he can't hear you. So try to get his attention as he walks. Walk slowly. And this is the vision I'm seeing in my mind, right? And every now and then, Isaiah would stop. Something would happen, stop, Isaiah. Something would happen in his life, and he'd take a second and he'd begin to think about God. Or he'd begin to ask, is God real? But still he won't turn. Still he won't begin to seek uh, the Lord, right? So he continues walking on. Then he gets to this point. That's good right there, Isaiah. Stop. We'll call it the midlife crisis. <laughs> he's halfway around the room. And it's either gotten really, really bad, so he's thinking, I need something. I need help. I need God. Or it's gotten really, really good, and he's saying to himself, this isn't me. This isn't all me. Somebody had to have blessed me. Something had to have happened. There has to be a higher power that's allowed me to have a life that maybe others don't have. And we think that he's going to turn. We think he's going to turn to God, but you know what he does? Isaiah, give me a quick 360, a little pirouette. Doesn't even look at God, just keeps on going. Now keep on going, Isaiah. Yet God is right there. He's right behind him. When many of us feel like we don't know where he is, we don't know if he cares, we don't know if he loves us, we don't know if he's aware, we don't know if he's coming, we don't know what he's doing, he's literally this close to us all the time. Give these guys a hand. You guys go ahead and sit down. Thank you, Jesus. This morning, I want to open us up by praying for those who have yet to turn, right? Yet to turn and actually feel the embrace of your creator and the one who loves you more than anyone ever has. It's a sad thing when you come to know faith and you can look out and see people who are walking without God and you know how close he is to them. You know that he's within arm's reach. You know that the love that, that they need and that he wants to pour out upon them is closer than they even know, right? I want to pray for those folks. But I also want to pray that uh, we would understand when he says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you, he's talking to Christians as well, right? We have to set aside time to actually dine with him this Christmas. Not a quick turn around, hey, Jesus, I'm glad that you're still here. We'll catch up after the new year when I'm done doing everything I have to do but setting aside time to dine with him, to spend with him, to meditate upon his word, to spend some time in worship, right? To think about the people that you're giving gifts to and begin to pray for them that they would receive more than just something in a package under a tree this year, right? So let's refocus. Bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you this morning that we have an opportunity to come into your house, Lord, to lift up our voices and to worship you and to praise you, Lord, that we get to see our children, Lord, uh, remembering and reciting scripture, singing songs unto you, Lord God, with a, with a freedom and with a liberality, Lord. We're reminded that your word says that unless we become like little children, we cannot enter into the kingdom. We have to have that same childlike faith, Lord, trust in you, Lord, and a willingness to stand before others, Lord, and proclaim your name. We ask that you would have your way this morning in this service, Lord God, that you would minister to each and every one of us individually and collectively as a body, Lord, that you would call us out of darkness and into the light, Lord God, that you would call us to dine with you, that you would remind us of what this season really means, Lord, that we would take advantage of this time and of this season where many people who are unaware of you don't know how close you are, Lord, but right now during this time of the year, they're open to you, Lord God. Let us be doing our part. Let us be aware, Lord. Let us be in our word. Let us be praying, Father. Have your way over this message, Lord. Let it be your words and not mine. Minister to your people. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 So when Moses asked God, 
who he should say sent him to uh, uh, deliver the children of Israel, right? God tells him, I want you to go. You're going to deliver my people. We're going to come out of Egypt. He says, who should I tell him sent me, right? If I just tell him I want him to come, they're not going to listen to me. Who should I tell them? And God says this in Exodus 3.14. He says, say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. So this morning, this Christmas, I feel that God wants you to know that he's aware, right? He's the aware one. He's the coming one, but he's also the able one, right? This morning, the title of the message is, I am able. I am able, right? There's nothing I can't do. Not only am I aware, and not only am I coming, but when I actually arrive, I'm able, I'm capable of doing something in your life. So for me, there's this tension at Christmas that I wrestle with between the miraculous birth of our Savior and the day his greatest creation murdered him on a cross. All right? It's Christmas. We're supposed to be thinking about babies and birth and, and, and this miraculous child that came into the world. But for me, there's a tension. I can't think about one without the other. Every time I think about the birth of this child, every time I think about the Savior coming into the world, I'm automatically wrestling with this idea that later on, the very people he created would murder him on a cross. Right? The climax of sin is death. Where does it end? It always ends in death. Right? James 1.15 says this, when desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, it brings forth death. That's the train and the track that it always goes down, right? The end result, no matter how bad it gets, is death. There are sins that kill the body, and there are sins that kill your spirit. In Genesis, God told Adam, he said, listen, do not eat of the fruit of this tree. If you eat of it, in the very day you eat of it, you'll die. And then what we see later on is that when they ate of it, they died, but it was a spiritual death, right? In that moment, in that day, Adam died a spiritual death, Eve died a spiritual death, but it took years before they died their physical death. And the same is true for you and I, right? We have this spiritual death that is taking place, but many of us, we live 50, 60, 80, 90, 100 years before there's a physical death, right? It's the same story that we see with Adam and Eve. The Bible says that we've all sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God, right? But there are horrendous things that people are capable of doing, like rape, like child molestation. There are things that, that we read about and that we hear about. We see right now in the news going on around the world, right, where people are coming into their homes, shooting up whole families, chopping people's heads off. There's a horrendous level of sin that many of us, maybe we might be sheltered from, but we know it's a reality that these things are happening right now in this community, in the surrounding cities. Young girls taken from their homes, taken from their, from their schools. We can't pretend as if this is not the world we live in. Somebody say amen. It's as if when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of that tree, you know what the tree was called? It's called the knowledge of good and evil, right? It's as if when they ate from that tree, they were made aware of the depths of evil, the depths of darkness. And what the Bible says is that men are drawn to the darkness and women are drawn to the darkness. It's just differing degrees. Some of us are drawn to what we would call a lower level or lower degree of darkness, and others are just going full go, as dark as it can get, the things that we think are horrendous, right? So Paul describes this struggle of this knowledge of sin and this, this, uh, this draw to darkness that he was actually going through in his own life. 
in the book of Romans chapter 7, verse 18, and see if it resonates at all with you with anything that you go through, anything that you struggle with this morning. Paul says this about his struggle. He says in verse 18, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that's what I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wants to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul's asking. He's, he's making an acknowledgement of how bad it is inside of his heart and inside of his mind. And then he's saying, who can help me? <laughs> Who can deliver me from this? The things I want to do, I don't do it. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. And therefore, it's not just me. There's something alive inside of me. It's called sin. And it's not just this thing that I can massage and, and uh, control. It's controlling me. It's bringing me into captivity, he says. He says, I need to be delivered. <laughs> Who can help me? What did God say back in Exodus 3? He said, I know the bondage my people are in, and I've come to deliver them. That's what he said to Moses. I see it. I know what's going on, and I'm coming. I'm the coming one to deliver them. So Christmas is God confirming that he's aware by coming into the world to deliver us from sin. That's what Christmas is. So when somebody asks you what it is, it's not about giving gifts. What it is, yes, there was a, a child born unto us and all those things. But what it is, is he's saying, listen, I'm aware of the condition of my people that I created, and I am coming into the world to deliver them from sin. If you don't get that at Christmas, you missed it. If our friends and family get presents from us and there's no prayer and there's no spirituality, we've missed it. He's saying, I'm aware of your condition. You can deny your condition, but I know what your condition is, and I care enough to come into the world and deliver you from that bondage. You can't deliver yourself if you wanted to. Be as nice as you want. Give as much as you want. You cannot deliver yourself. But I'm aware and I'm able, he says. When we begin to see sin for what it is and we begin to wrestle with it like, Paul wrestled with it, and we find that it's actually in us. It's not something we're doing. It's something that's inside of us, right? We realize that we can't get rid of it ourselves no matter how hard we try. Many of us have gone through those cycles and seasons in our life, right, where we say, I'm going to be a better person. How many times have you guys said that? <laughs> you know what I mean? And you know how sometimes you're like, you really mean it too. <laughs> you know what? I'm tired of being like this. I'm going be, to be nice. I'm going to care for people. I'm going to be giving this year. And we go through these cycles of trying to make it better. You know where we find ourselves? Right back where we were before. Same old person, can't shake it, can't get rid of it, right? Can't pretend it away, right? So these are the two options that we're left with. Either we embrace our sin and we try to manage it, which a lot of us have done too. You know what? We start saying things like, you know what? I am who I am. You guys need to accept me how I am, right? If you really loved me, you'd let me be like this, <laughs> We put it on other people, right? So either we embrace our sin and begin to say things like, this is who I am and this is how I am and I don't care. And you know what? They're, everybody's like, everybody's the same anyway. We embrace it and we try to manage it or we start looking for somebody to deliver us. Once we know we can't do it on our own, embrace it or try to find somebody who can help you. Some people turn to self-help. 
Some people turn to books like The Secret. Some people look for Tony Robbins. I don't know who it is, right? But we look for somebody who can help us change our behavior. But what God says and what the Bible says, it's not, it's not behavioral, right? It's actually, it's in your DNA. You can't get rid of this, right? There's only one God who can deal with sin and only one God who can deal with your conscience. Brings me back to that tension I talked about earlier, right? Between the birth of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ, that tension, right? Where you have to be thinking about and considering both of them all the time. In the manger, right, in the manger, Jesus says, I'm aware and I'm coming. That's what God is saying, right? Look, I'm aware and I'm coming. Down out of heaven, into the world, in through a woman, I'm I'm coming into the world. I'm aware and I'm coming. On the cross and with an empty tomb, which is why we have this picture, on the cross and the empty tomb, Jesus says, I'm able, right? When you see the empty tomb, what he's saying is, look, I'm able. It doesn't matter what it is, even death I can overcome. I'm able. What's your problem today? What's your issue today? What's your need today? What are you struggling with today? You know what he says? I'm able. I'm able. Christmas and, and Christmas is Easter and Easter is Christmas. The two cannot be separated. They can't be. Christmas is Easter and Easter is Christmas. What good is a God who knows what you're going through, comes into the world to help you, but he's unable to actually do anything in your life? Think about that. What good is that God? I know what you're going through. I'm willing to come down out of heaven, but when I get there, I'm unable to help you or do anything. That's no God at all. That God cannot help you. Likewise, what good is a God who is all-powerful and can help you, change you, transform you, heal you, forgive you of sin, but he's unaware of what you're going through and unwilling to come down out of heaven? It doesn't work. He's got to be all those things. He's got to be aware, he's got to come, and he's got to be able to do something in your life. His name is Jesus. There is no other So as you begin to realize what God's doing, if you're like me, we just stand in awe and we say, how, Lord? How is all that possible? How? If you're the only one that can do it and you have to do all three of these things and then some, I begin to ask myself, why is one? Two is how. How do you do that? How do you come out of heaven? When we see these kids come down here and they they reenact what the Bible tells us happened, right? Mary and Joseph and... He comes into the world. How is it, God, that you would be willing to trust us, the same people who are going to kill you later? You're going to put your life into our hands as a child, as a baby, and of all the times you could come, you don't come when there's medical advancements. You don't come when there's vaccinations. You come into the world in the middle of Africa (laughs) to these peasants, and then you trust them to take care of you enough for you to be able to save the world. This morning, he trusts you, too. He trusts you to come to him. He trusts you to lead those kids that went upstairs. He trusts you to understand that you cannot deliver yourself and ask for for deliverance. It's crazy how much he actually trusts us. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus said, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He says, if I left it to you guys, it wouldn't happen. (laughs) But I'm here. I'm engaged. It's possible because I'm the one who is driving this ship, right? 
Hebrews 12.2 says, Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. I began to think about this impossible Christmas miracle, and this is the conclusion that I came to. The authoring of the miracle came a long time before the advent or the arrival of Christ. He says, I'm the author and the finisher. You can't do it on your own. I'm the only one that can do it. I've come to the conclusion that the actual authoring, the writing of salvation, the plan of God for redemption and reconciliation of men and women back into right relationship with him to be able to enter into heaven and spend eternity with him, that authoring, that plan happened a lot longer than most of us think about. 700 years before Jesus was born into the world, Isaiah said this in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. 700 years. Say 700. 700. He says in Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. That's 700 years before he came. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when he was here, Speaking of Mary, it says, she'll bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What is he doing? Why did he come? It's not to give us a better life. It's not to give us a few more dollars. It's not to make us happy in our relationships. It's not to make us nicer people. It says that he came, why? To save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Born of a virgin into this world, God himself out of the throne of heaven. The kids saying it, I don't know if you heard it in that song, but what they saying somewhere along there, it said that you couldn't do heaven without us. You were willing to come out of heaven and get us because you couldn't stand heaven without us. Man, that's a God that loves us. <laughs> so why is all this important this morning? Last year, I planned a trip for Mary and I to go overseas, and I planned it for about 18 months. We went in, we went in August, but I planned for about 18 months before that. When we left, Mary was still struggling with, with asking for things or thinking about how much we were eating out and you know, how much money we were, we were spending, and I told her, listen, we planned for this. We set the money aside specifically to be able to do these things. And I can't really blame her because there's been other times where we, we planned a little bit. We're going out for the weekend, right? We go down to, uh, we like to go to Laguna. We go down there and then she'll be like, hey, let's go eat. I'll be like, pull out the calculator on her. <laughs> you know, it's the third time you've said, let's go eat. Usually we eat maybe once a day we might go out. <laughs> Didn't you bring some snacks? I saw some snacks. <laughs> so it's not all her fault, right? But we go on this trip and the whole time she's like, man, we're eating out a lot, and, and you know, I, I kind of like that, and maybe, maybe, no, let's just wait so I can really get what I want because I'm not going to ask for stuff all over the place. But in the 18 months that we planned, we planned in a way that allowed me to be able to say to her, don't worry, babe, we're able, right? Don't worry. You don't have to be concerned, you don't have to be scared. If we weren't able, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> and believe me, I would have gave you a list of things you cannot have before we got off the plane. <laughs> But that's not the case. We're able. Get what you want. I ate ice cream like three times a day while we were gone. <laughs> Side note. So listen, if the author and the finisher of our faith kind of threw a plan together, picked some random time and some random location and some random girl to come into the world through, right? 
Maybe we should question his ability to finish what he started. If it wasn't well planned and it wasn't well thought out and it was only, you know, he kind of threw it together, you know what, I got to do something for these people. We should question if he can finish what he started, if he can really do something in our lives. But if I tell you this morning that before there was even time itself, Jesus planned to save you, what do you consider then? Before there was even time, right? It says that he's outside of time and he, and he uh, pre-exists with time. And before that, he had a plan to save you. We love to look at the scriptures that say he knows the number of hairs on your head, right? He knew you before you were formed in the womb. We understand those things, and we, we try as Christians to stand upon them, right? But he knew you way before that. If I can take Mary farther than she's ever been and stay longer than she's ever stayed with only 18 months of planning, what can Jesus do with an infinite amount of time to plan the greatest trip of your life. He's had all of eternity to plan what he wants to do with you, where he wants to take you, what he wants you to see. Right? And then if you have any questions about what it takes, what it costs, if you can do this or do that, if you can have this or have that, he answers the same thing every time. Hey, I'm able. Hey, can you, can you, can you, can you do something about this sin, oh, wretched man that I am? Hey, I'm able. Hey, I really want to come to you, but I'm so angry in my marriage right now that I can't even stand to sit in a building with this woman or sit in a building with this man. Can you really do something? Hey, I'm able. Hey, you know what? I'm so far in debt that I don't even want to work. I don't even want to do anything because I know I'll never get out from under this burden, and it's killing me, and it's killing my, my actual uh, uh, personality. Can you do, hey, I'm able. Hey, you know what? I've been a terrible parent, a terrible mother for, for years, and my kids are already of age where they know, they see it. They're not little. They saw what happened. Can there be rest? Or, hey, I'm able. I've been planning for eternity for you and I to do this. I've been traveling and walking around behind you for decades, and all I need you to do is turn around, open your arms so I can grab a hold of you and say, I'm able. Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Jesus says to him, I am able. Romans 7, 24 and 25, we stopped at 24 last time. Listen to Paul. After he goes through saying, I do this and I want to do that and I, I want to do something else and I can't, I'm just a sinner, all that stuff, right? In verse 24 of Romans 7, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says in verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, even when he was describing this, he had already known the Lord. So what he was trying to do is tell us that he's been where you and I are, but he found the Lord. At some point, he stopped, and he turned around, and he was embraced. If you read his story, it took place because he was knocked off of a horse and blinded for three days, but he stopped. He turned to the Lord. He had no other hope, no other direction that he could go in. He says, thank you, God, that you're aware of my situation. Thank you that you've come down to even knock me off of my horse, and I thank you that you're able to deliver me from anything and everything. I don't know everybody's situation and circumstance this morning, and you don't know mine, to be honest. But I do know the one who says, I am. I'm aware, I'm coming, and I'm able. A few more minutes. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says this. Hebrews 2, 14. 
Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Think about the advent. Think about Jesus coming in the flesh. This is what God is saying about that, right? He would destroy the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. We sang a song, I'm no longer a slave to sin, right? We sing a song that says you can break every chain. That's what the scripture says. Verse 16, for indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. Read through Hebrews, please. My, my wife has been reading there, and she's been struggling with it. She's been calling me like, babe, I, I don't understand some of these things. I understand some of them. Hebrews is telling this story of how, how God would come from heaven, come in through a woman, and how he had to do that, right? He had to come and have flesh like you and I have. He died on the cross sinless as a man in order to overcome death and the devil. That's the story. Back to Adam in the garden, the Bible says that we all die because he sinned. Sin comes into all of us, right? It's in our DNA now, and we're all dying spiritually, even though it takes us a long time to die physically. With Jesus coming in through a woman, overcoming death, being a sinless sacrifice for you and I, what it says is, is that you and I, if we're willing to turn around and come to him, what happens is we get to be born again and have life through the man Christ, just like we got death through the man Adam. No matter who you are, you're breathing to death right now, and it's because of Adam. You only got so many breaths left. But it says that if you, if you turn to Christ, that you will be filled with life, right? And the life that never ends. Jesus says, I'm able. I can overcome death. I can overcome fear. You can be born again, he says. This is the story for you and I. Last, last uh, verse here, and then we'll close. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 53. Paul says, corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, death is going to win for a lot of people. Hell's going to be populated, please believe me. Death is going to win for a lot of people because they won't stop and they won't turn to Christ. But what Paul says here, he says, I thank God that through Christ Jesus, God made a way for us to overcome death. The thing that we're the most afraid about, when you sin and when we act the way that we used to act, believe me, I'm not pointing the fingers. It's been 12 years that I've been saved. And before that, I was a hellion. Going there myself and taking as many people with me as I could possibly. The Bible talks about people like I was. It says, not only are you a sinner, but you encourage other people to sin, and you invent sin. That was me. Paul says, I was the worst among sinners. I was the chief. And yet, look at what God does in his life, right? He takes corruption and puts on incorruption. Death is swallowed up in victory, but it's only through Christ. You have to come to him. You have to get that new life. You have to get that forgiveness. So I'll close with this. All the things that we've been talking about this morning, they can be difficult to grasp, especially if you've never turned, right? If you've never turned to the Lord, the Bible says that the things of the Spirit, they're foolishness to those who are in the world. The natural man cannot understand. It's not that you don't want to, but if you've never turned, you can't actually understand these spiritual concepts, the Bible says. 
The word this morning that I'm sharing with you guys is spiritual. It's the word of God, all right? Jesus is giving the same message. Jesus is giving the same message to the church when he was on earth. Right? So 2016 years ago or so, Jesus is in church saying to people the same thing that I'm saying to you. Right? And this is what he says. They're rejecting his word. They're saying, we don't believe you. <clears throat> and they say to Jesus, the, the church leaders actually, the Jews say, Jesus, you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who's dead, and the prophets who are dead? Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say he's your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. <laughs> and if I say I do not know him, I'll be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> he says, I'm able. I'm past, present, and future. I planned for you before eternity, and I've got plans for you throughout eternity. You think that I'm just here at the moment before Abraham was, before he existed, before he grew to be a full-grown man, before I called him out of his land and told him to go to another land? I am. I've always been. He was looking for me, and he found me. I'm able. Isaiah 46, 9, God says, I'm God. I am God. There's no other. I am God. There's none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. I love the fact that we serve the God that says, I'm able to enter in to the world you live in and intervene in your life. Think about that for a second. I'm able to enter into the world you live in and intervene in your life. Is that the God you're serving this morning? Is that the God you're seeking this morning? Is that the God you came in to lift up your voice and worship this morning? Is that why you got out of bed, got dressed and clean, showered and everything, and came into this building? I'm looking for the one who's able to intervene in my life. I'm not looking for a group to hang out with. I'm not looking for a place to learn how to cuss less. I'm not looking for a place to help me hold my relationships together. I'm looking for the God who is able to change and transform me from the inside out. Stand with me. Isaiah, come. Say he's able. He's able. Say he's able. he's able. One more time. Say he's able. he's able. Amen. Bow your heads with me. For just a moment. <clears throat> one thing we talk about a lot in this church is that it's one thing to come into the building. It's another thing to, to listen and, and actually seek him, right? Stop walking circles and to stop and to actually turn, right? Those are two different things, but at the end of the day, the third is what matters most. It's response. If you come, praise the Lord. If you listen, thank God for that. But if you don't respond to him, it's all for naught. You shouldn't have came. 
Jesus says it like this. At the end, when, when people get to the gates, they're going to expect to be welcomed in, and he's going to say, flee from me, I never knew you. And they're going to say, we went to church, we prayed over people, we cast out demons, we gave 10%, we did all these things, we got into ministry, we sacrificed things with our families and our kids. He says, but I never knew you. You walked in circles, you never turned to me, you never sought me. You never drew near to me. You don't know my word. It doesn't live inside of you. You don't have the confirmation of the Holy Spirit saying you are saved. You can't enter. That's about response. Responding to God knocking on the door of your heart. Responding to your conscience saying, like Paul's did, I can't do it on my own. I need to be delivered. All the heads are bowed. All the eyes are closed. It's truly between you and the Lord. He knows the end from the beginning, so he knows <laughs> what your heart is doing right now in this very moment, in this very room. He's the same God that would come into a manger in this little town of Bethlehem to save the world. I guarantee you he can come into the little warehouse church to save your soul. Are there any here this morning, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, that you would raise your hand and say, you know what? If he's that close this morning, I'm willing to turn and, and reach out. I'm willing to turn. I'm willing to see if he's real and if he'll save me. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand right where you are. The Lord knows. The Lord sees you this morning. Don't keep walking. Respond to him. He's real. This is all that matters is your soul, your salvation. He says if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. He's aware of what you've done. He's aware of what you've been through and what you're going through right now. Hear him this morning say, I've come for you. It's not a package deal. I didn't come for all these people. I didn't come for other people. And I just happened to see you. He came for you. Is there anyone this morning? You know that's you. Hey Amen. I see your hand. Anybody else? Today's your day. It's not a family salvation. It's not a group thing. It's between you and the Lord and you want to be saved. You want Christmas to really mean something to you this year. Amen, I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. That's why he came. Hallelujah, Lord. If you have questions, you're not alone. Only two things matter. You know you're a sinner and you can't deliver yourself from the body of death, and you hear the voice of the Lord saying, I'm able to save you. Anybody else before we move on? Just raise your hand. The heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Just raise your hand. Don't let another day, another opportunity pass you by to come to know Jesus. It's real. He came. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to release the service, but we're going to have a time of worship. For those that want to stay for a minute, we're going to have a time of worship just to pray. For those of you that gave your life to the Lord, the altars will be open for you. And if you're here as a Christian already, I'm going to open the altar to you as well. I want to pray for those who you've turned to the Lord. You've known him. He saved you. You know that your sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west, but you also know that you're yet to prepare a place for him to dine with him this Christmas season. I want to pray for you that you would do that over these next couple of weeks before this year is out, before next week is even out with Christmas Sunday, and that he would show up for you and show you just how able he is. That what you've seen so far is nothing to compare to what you will see in the future. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to release you, and then we're going to open the altars. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you came into the world, Lord. 
We thank you that you give us a conscience that shows us, that reminds us not only that you exist, but that we are hopeless without you, that we cannot deliver ourselves, Lord God. I pray that we would consistently turn to you. When you say, I'm coming, it wasn't just to come into the world once. It was that you would be able to continue to come into our lives and intervene. We need you now more than we did before we were saved, Lord God. We need you to keep showing up, keep revealing yourself to us, keep opening our eyes to your word, your scriptures, Lord God. We know that you're a trinity. You're the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've sent your spirit to confirm and to make us aware, Lord God. We need you and we want you. Make yourself known, Lord. We thank you for those that would turn this morning, that would come to you, Lord God. You saw their hearts. You know what they're dealing with. Place a hedge of protection around them. We know we have an enemy who's going to continue to come after them, to try to bring them back, Lord, to try to discourage them as they go through the challenges of dealing with years and years of just ugliness, Lord God of filth and of sin, Lord, the same things that the rest of us have had to deal with to recognize who you are and how much you love us, Lord. We pray that they wouldn't turn back, Lord. Hold the enemy at bay. Send brothers and sisters around these precious souls to encourage them not to give up. Your word says those who endure to the end will be saved. Oh, God, we need you. Empower us, Lord. Make us sensitive to what you're doing, Lord. Meet with your sons and daughters. There are those here in this place this morning, Lord, that have been walking with you for a long time, Lord, but they've lost the intimacy. They might say this morning that they love you, but they're not in love with you, Lord God. I pray that you would rekindle that flame, that they would be on fire but not consumed, God. Oh, we need you. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. What you did for Moses, you'll do for us, Lord God. What you did for Mary and Joseph, you'll do for us. What you did for Paul, you'll do for us, Lord, if we just seek you and pursue you, Lord. You're there for us. We love you. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.